Hello, everyone. Welcome to Couch Talk. I am Dr. Anna Kabeca, board-certified obstetrician and gynecologist and board-certified in anti-aging and regenerative medicine, a specialist in functional medicine, and an expert in women's sexual health. Today, we are going to talk about the ways to boost your libido with a dear friend and guest, Dr. Keisha Ewers. And she's going to talk about your libido, what's going on with it, and how to accelerate it, boost it. Keisha, it's wonderful to have you here today. It's nice to be here. Thank you. Welcome. Let me tell our audience about you. Dr. Keisha has had an amazing background story. She's a world traveler, which, of course, I love. I love that adventurous spirit. She's been to many of the same countries and loves many of the same cultures I do, including Peru, which I'm so excited about. She's board certified in functional and Ayurvedic medicine, as well as being a doctor in psychology, sexology and a psychotherapist, an energy worker, a yoga teacher, and founder of the host of The Healthy You Radio Network at HealthyYouRadio.com. She has been in the medical field for over 30 years. After being diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, an incurable disease according to Western medicine, she began exploring alternative modalities which led her to Ayurvedic and functional medicine and a complete reversal of her autoimmunity within one year of diagnosis. Amazing. Dr. Ewers began integrating functional medicine with sexology in 2015 to create a new field of medicine known as functional sexology. You got to love that. Her Functional Sexology Institute focused on using functional medicine to find and fix the root causes of sexual issues. She has published articles and books and conducted research primarily on female sexual desire. Her constant thirst for knowledge in the pursuit of finding answers to her patients' problems has taken her around the world, learning from traditional healers and native cultures from such diverse places such as Australia, India, Mexico, Peru, Africa, and Sri Lanka, as well as from the best of the innovative thinkers and scientists our country has to offer. Dr. Keisha's commitment to empowering individuals to heal themselves has made Fern Life Center, her clinic in the Seattle area, a resounding success. Dr. Keisha offers personalized precision medicine approach through the use of genetics, specially testing individualized treatment, and classes and webinars teaching meditation, psychological healing to tools, and growth through self-awareness. Her model is an outgrowth of her lifelong dedication to the extension of consciousness and the development of human potential. So join Keisha at Healthy You Radio, and she has offered you a free libido boosting quick start guide, and that is going to be at drannacabeca.com forward slash Dr. Keisha, D-R-K-E-E-S-H-A. Keisha, it's wonderful, truly an honor to have you here, and I know we've been trying to get together. We've crisscrossed in our lives so much, so it is great to have you here. It is really my pleasure. I mean, when I read your bio when you were on my radio show, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is a soul sister. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, tell us more about your story. So as you just related, I had rheumatoid arthritis many years ago. I'm 50 now. And when I was in my really early 30s, I got diagnosed and I started thinking about why am I attacking myself? Because that's what an autoimmune disease is, right? And I thought about that word, autoimmune, and I realized I was turning on myself. And I started really going deep into the, the research on what I could do. So I went on PubMed, because you know that's where we keep all our medical literature, right? 
And I couldn't find it. There was just not much in those days. And I found one article about yoga and autoimmunity. I went to my first yoga class because I'd been this hardcore marathon runner before that and just beating my body. And went into yoga and said, oh my gosh, my yoga teacher talked the first class about this obscure word I'd never heard of called Ayurvedic medicine. And I logged it into my little brain and I went home and I went on to the search engine of the time. You remember Ask Jeeves? Uh -uh. Okay, so Ask Jeeves was before Google and Bing. Okay. <laughs> That's how long ago this was. So I put it into the computer and I pulled it up and it said, we're not all the same 10,000 years ago. They knew this in India. They said, oh my gosh, you know, just all these things that made so much sense to me that we can't go by the food pyramid, the standard American diet, the exercise, the same program is right for every person. Ayurveda talked about us being different. And so I learned that. And like you said, within a year, my rheumatoid arthritis was gone. So I started working with a lot of people with autoimmunity. And one of the number one things is, you know, Anna, that they talk about is no sex drive left, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I started, I started listening to these ladies that were coming in my clinic and again, went to PubMed, looked for some information about what I was hearing because I would say, they would say, do you prescribe um, bioidentical hormone therapy? And I would say, yes, I do. Let's find, you know, do some testing and find out what's going on with you. And I then would start asking some very simple questions like, do you like your partner? Have you ever had a libido, right? Those are pretty simple. Mm -hmm. And I would get so many women crying with these questions. And I started going, my goodness, no one's really asking, <laughs> did you ever have a libido, <laughs> you know? And so they would read that, a hormone is going to spark your libido, but if there was some psychological thing going on, an emotional hurt, like their husband had had an affair five years ago, or they'd gone through a big job change, or had a baby, or a special care parent had, you know, that they were caring for, then that was sapping their adrenal glands, and they were thinking that actually um, they could just get it taken care of the hormone. So I started going to med. There's nothing in the literature about the impact of held on to hurt on women's sexual desire. So then I thought, okay, I'm going to go back to school. And I did a research study about this. And that's when I got my doctorate in sexology. It was, a, it was actually a specialty in hormones and the psychological, emotional, and spiritual and cultural root causes in addition to physical of what happens to a woman's sexual desire. So that's how I came to do this. And it's beautiful because there are so many layers, you know, and, and with you, it's, it's that peeling back of the layers to see, okay, well, what's been causing the underlying, underlying pain? What's the underlying reason? I like what you say is finding out about the held on to hurt. Right. So I developed this model called the hurt model, which stands for held on, held on to, um, a healing unresolved trauma. Sorry, it's late. That's what HURT stands for in my research. And so I have a model that talks about the ways that you can adaptively deal with stress and ways you maladaptively deal with stress. And when I started putting the model to work, I started seeing that actually you could plug in any disease, not just low sexual desire. You could plug in hypertension or joint pain or, you know, anything. No, has an emotional root could be actually fixed with us. And so 
using some psychological tools was a big part of what I brought to this field and functional sexology was born. I love it. And, and it's really key that let's talk a bit about this held on to hurt, right? This, um, aspect of healing because we know in so many pet clients that I've treated and working with sexual health that, you know, one of the big areas that I talk about is when there's, um, the changes associated with the hormonal changes that cause pain, discomfort, irritation, such as vaginal dryness or incontinence or thinning of the pelvic floor. And those things become silent because we're not communicating them to our partner and how we can talk about it. So let's, let's hit on that. How do you address this hurt? So hurt in the way that I'm talking about it, as far as held on to hurt is emotional hurt that you've had as a child. So, you know, if, if someone that most obvious, of course, is sexual abuse. And of course, one in four women, it's been reported, uh, have been sexually abused. And that's, that's just reported. So we think it's probably higher than that. But also, when you're growing up as a child, if you took on the meaning that you weren't smart enough, or you weren't pretty enough, or you were fat, or you know, any of those things, then that too is a hurt that can be triggered in adulthood. So your partner says something to you about your weight. If you had that meaning when you were young that that is somehow a terrible, you know, that you're somehow not good enough, then you're not going to really have sexual desire, are you? Mm. Right? If you, if you can't figure out how to put together or use the TV remote control and your partner says something about that and you had a meaning that you attached to your intelligence when you were young, then you're going to actually react to that differently than someone else that says, yeah, I'm actually emotional, you know, uh, remote controlled brain dead. Will you just show me what to do, right? So it's like five people line up and they have five different experiences and five different meanings attached to them. And that's all dependent on what they decided when they were a child, right? And right. so my libido story work that I work with women on and libido mapping is going through what were those experiences that developed into meanings that you attach to yourself and how can you rewrite them if they're getting in your way? I, I love that because that's about rewriting your story, creating your new story, allowing the release of the past but once you I mean one thing you have to do is to identify that so how do you help women identify that you go through your present and you see what are the things that get triggered easily so right do you you know you probably know what yours are I know what mine are because I've been on the planet long enough to know <laughs> when I get triggered and why and so one of the ones that will get me is if, my, if I've been talking to my husband about a certain subject and then we come back and we talk about like the very next day, that subject comes up again and he doesn't remember anything I said, then I just think, oh my gosh, you didn't even listen to what I was saying. Well, someone else could roll that off their back, but for me, that gets me, <laughs> I get very irritated by it because my little kid really didn't like to not be heard. Right. There was a lot of stuff. I actually was sexually abused when I was a child and when I was 10 years old by the vice principal in my school. And I told people about it and they didn't believe me. And so I would get triggered by not being heard in a more dramatic way than somebody else does. Right. So if I don't feel heard by my spouse, then I don't really want to have sex with them. So when I can see that, then it doesn't trigger me. And I can say, you know what, honey, Ashley, 
that's one of those moments right there where I'm not feeling heard. And then we talk about it and then I'm good. Right. And so it's giving women that power to get over whatever their trigger is and identify it. They can rewrite it. So it doesn't have to be a giant red button sitting on them that someone can come and push. Right. Mm. Yeah. So good. So, I mean, there's so many, again, like there are layers, layers to where that came from to layers to, um, you know, discover when I work with clients in the sexual CPR program, it's that whole functional medicine model, right? So let's talk about that because all the dimensions come into place for our sexual health. Right. Right. So in the functional sex or functional medicine world, they actually don't talk about sex that much. So that's why I brought the sexology component into it and said, okay, we need to be addressing this. But in the functional medicine approach, we're looking for root cause. So if somebody comes in and they've had a great sex life, they're in a fantastic relationship and all of a sudden their sex drive is gone and they've just turned 55, then you can pretty much say, yeah, your hormones are probably dumping and we need to really look at those, right? But let's say we have a 28-year-old that's coming in, you know, and, and she's got something totally different going on and you start scratching the surface of your questions and you find out that she's in an abusive relationship, Right. And so that's what I love about functional medicine is it takes in that emotional, psychological component that you're asking those questions. It's so important. I think that's exactly right, that we're not afraid to ask these questions. And it is hard for women to find a safe resource to ask questions. Where do you guide them? We definitely have our website. So functionalsexology.com for Dr. Keisha Ewers. And if you are in Seattle, that's where they can see you in person, right? Right. Yeah, we're outside of Seattle and Issaquah. And I do, you know, Skype consultations and phone consultations with people all over the world, um, you know, from Africa to Australia. So I just think it's so important that people are able to access people like you, Anna, and people like me that will actually take those questions and not be uncomfortable with them and develop a plan of care where they can be really healed from the inside out. That's the other thing functional medicine will look at is, well, are you detoxifying everything okay? Are your cells healthy? You know, do you have enough energy? What else is going on in your body? Is your thyroid okay? Are your adrenal glands okay? Is your hair falling out? You know, all of the things that a lot of times if you go in and see your general practitioner and you have acne and also a low sex drive, they may not put those two together. Right. And they right? put you on birth control pills. That's exactly. Just <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. So it's looking at the full dimension. So let's talk, let's talk about why libido is important for our overall health. So one of the things that research shows is that if libido is not strong, it affects a woman's health. She reports having a low mood, a low satisfaction level in all of life, even sleep and uh, quality of their entire, their skin, right? Because what are we releasing when we have really fantastic sex life? that beautiful oxytocin that affects everything, right? Oh, so, yeah. yeah, it's so important. And it also, you know, research also shows that relationship satisfaction is the number one predictor of a good libido. So it's not, I mean, that's why I always say it's not just about hormones. If those relationships aren't good, then you're not going to have, your hormones are going to take a dive because your adrenals will be off, right? So it's looking at that 
why are the adrenals in overdrive? Why is it that this is happening instead of just here's some hormones? And, and so with your research, as you've dealt into the libido story, what has been, what has been, have been some of the findings with your research? That when women hold on to hurt, that it will affect their sex drive. That you can have an old hurt from when you were five years old or an infant or 10 years old actually affect you today. And to the, the same extent, research shows that physical pain cannot be relived again over and over again, but social and emotional pain can to the same extent as the first time it was felt. So I always tell them when I'm teaching them this stuff, I say, you know, think about sitting in a garden, the day is beautiful, you're watching a hummingbird at the flower, drinking a cup of your favorite beverage, and then all of a sudden this thought comes up, right, that's somehow hurtful, and you think about somebody that you were wronged by or hurt by, and then all of a sudden the day is destroyed, right? Daniel Amen calls that the automatic negative thoughts, right? And so those ants, they come and they spoil the picnic. And so that was another thing that my research just validated again. And then that there are actually ways to come out of that and get into adaptive memory processing. And my research indicated different ways that that could happen. And forgiveness was a big one. Have you ever thought about forgiveness as a libido cure? Oh, absolutely. I yes. think one of the most important releasers of bondage, right? Right. It just weighs us down and it affects our organs. I mean, I think it relates to our pancreas very much. And right. you know, so that will relate to our blood sugar and metabolic issues. And those but how many other doctors people. know this, Anna? But it's We're, so important. And then gratitude, right? Just the act of gratitude. Right. And using that as part of um, as part of the process of healing that I have found so big. Yeah. But it's not taught in medical school. So right. you know, the, I don't know. Patients may think, okay, who's this doctor saying, okay, you have to journal five minutes a day at least. Exactly. exactly. But it, and helps. it does. And then another one is making sure that trauma release happens so that, you know, we now know about neuroplasticity of the brain. You have to get those little parts of the brain to synapse and communicate together. Well, and if you've got a trauma in there, you can actually change the way that you react to future hurts if you'll do the right work. And so I really like EMDR. I like brain spotting. I like clinical hypnotherapy. But any of those will work, but you just have to go do it. Yeah. So. And what about emotional freedom technique as well? EFT is great, but it doesn't get rid of that root piece, right? It gets you out of sympathetic overload when you do it so that you can get yourself calmed down in that parasympathetic rest and digest and feed and breed state. But it's not about really getting down to healing up the little kid that was hurt and finding a new connection and all of that. So I love EFT though for really undo and taking the, the plug out of the bathtub of that sympathetic overload, right? <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, also, you know, for our listeners, chronic everyday stress, right, creates mm -hmm. that disconnect feeling. So if you're having stress, I always emphasize this, because if you're having stress at work, you're a caregiver, you've got children and carpool and juggling your work and all these things, that decreases oxytocin, that increases 
cortisol. So there's that disconnect. So, you know, I, I was on a plane speaking with one of my, I actually ended up seated next to a very old time um, urologist in our area. And he was saying how burnout he is. I love, he said, I love my practice. And it, I've been in practice for 30 years and I just dread it now. And it's not, you know, it's not as it was the paperwork stress and this stuff. Right. You know, if you're responding to stress. You need some self-care. You know, this, right. this trip you're on should be a vacation with your honey. And, and let's work on reducing the stress and putting some really healthy boundaries in because especially as caregivers, right. And right. physicians and, you know, with all these responsibilities and hats, that burnout leads to disconnect, leads to divorce. And it's physiological, physiological, right? right? <laughs> yeah. Physiologic. And so we need to make that, we need to make that connection so that we can work through it. So what is, what is a way that you address that aspect of the so, libido and the disconnect? Well, one of the things that I'll do with people that are on that, I call it the hamster wheel, where you're going around and around and around and around and you're productivity and achievement oriented and trying to get everything done and not enough time and all those things. I mean, we can all resonate with that at some point and somewhere in our lives, right? is that ability to take some deep breaths. So one of the things that's true is you can't feel fear and you can't feel love in the same breath, okay? So a lot of times we get wound up like that where like this physician that was dreading his going into work, right? There's some fear there about overwhelm and not enjoying it. And he's losing the love that he felt for his work. And so if you know that you're tense, you're not going to be able to breathe down into your belly. So that's one of the things, if you feel that there's some fear, there's some anxiety, there's a disconnect, as you're saying, you need to get back into your body. And if you'll relax your belly, you know how we're taught that we have to hold everything in, right? Right. <laughs> if you relax your belly and let it pooch out and then take a deep breath all the way down so that you look like you're getting like you're pregnant, right? As on an inhale and then exhale and make your belly go all the way back towards your spine and then pregnant again and then concave. If you'll do that, then you'll feel the tension go away because you can't be tense and breathe into your belly at the same time. So that fear can go with the exhale, right? So you can do that at work. You can do it in traffic when you're in a traffic jam or you're late for an appointment. It doesn't help you if you're late for an appointment to get tense about it too, right? It's just nothing's gonna change. You're already there. So you do these 10 deep belly breaths is a great way right there in that moment to do some work. Another thing is before you go to bed at night, we've got this hamster wheel, right? We go, 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 go. And then we expect to fall into bed and just have really restful sleep and wake up refreshed. And so what I love to do is put in between the day schedule and the nighttime rest, a really nice hot bath with Epsom salts in it and lavender essential oils and some candles and some really relaxing music, no screens, right? No television, no computer, no iPad, and just soak for 20 to 30 minutes, get out and rinse, and then uh, give yourself a really warm sesame oil massage. And your pores are open and they're happy and they'll receive that oil in an Ayurvedic medicine that helps ground you. So it'll get your mind to stop doing this. And then you can go to sleep and get rest and rejuvenation and detoxification and all the things that are supposed to happen, cellular renewal, right, at night. When you rest, absolutely. And I think that deep belly breathing is great between work and home. Let's yes. 
set before we cross the threshold of our home. And that's so important because we tend to yeah. bring it with us. Right. So that's well said. Now, what kind do you recommend in Ayurveda? Any specific oil to massage after a nice hot bath? So I love just organic cold-pressed sesame oil, the same kind that you would eat with, right? And then you can add really beautiful essential oils to that sesame oil so you don't smell like a Chinese wok. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I always, you know, say when we use coconut oil as a lubricant, we want something that smells good, tasteless, exactly. or you enjoy it. So, so coconut oil is good for body after the bath too, if it's hot. So where I'm from, sesame oil is fantastic at this time of year because it's raining in Seattle, right? And it's cold and it's windy. It might be different where you're from. It's warmer. And so when it's really hot outside, if you tend to be a body constitution that we call pitta, which is red undertones to your skin and a medium build and really sharp mind and, and very, very intelligent and can be a little critical and run inflammation, you know, with inflammation, coconut oil makes a great body lotion too. So after that shower, you would do that. Uh, that sounds beautiful. Now let's hit on a little archaeological findings from your travel around the world. I just want okay. to ask you about this, like the different cultures that you've encountered and the questions you've asked and the findings you've had about women in the cultures or relationships in these different cultures. So take us a bit around the world. I love this. Well, I just came from Peru recently. And in Peru, I take groups over there every year because I just love the Andes so much. And one of the things they teach in the Andes still in the villages, so this isn't going to be true for the city dwellers in Lima, okay? But up in the Andes, one of the things they teach their girls is to ask for what they need. Now, isn't that revolutionary? <laughs> Makes perfect sense. Voice. I know. They tell them to be selfish. They say, really ask and state what you need. And, you know, we're taught in the United States to be good girls and be demure. I mean, not so much anymore, but there's, there are a couple generations before me that have definitely gotten that. <laughs> and so they teach... They teach everybody to really understand that you are responsible for your own reality. So that's a really wonderful thing there. They've got um, temples. There's a really interesting one that I take people to that's outdoors. And I don't know that they would really call it a temple, but it's an old ruins area. And it actually has, um, when my students come through the, the gate in this outdoor area, they say, oh, mushrooms. But they're actually phalluses. <laughs> they're stone. And they've got, they've got them upside down and they've got them right side up. And one of the things that you feel when you walk in there is this deep sense of it's a healing place for male and female trauma mm -hmm. and the way that we've hurt each other. So they really address that. It's so beautiful. And there's a great big Gregorian cross in the back, on the back wall with an angel. And it's all about that forgiveness of that trauma. So that's a really beautiful place. Yeah, that I take Where is that to. again? It's in Peru, up in the Andes. Uh -huh. And then in India, there's this understanding that women are, are Shakti. So they're the um, kinetic potential, right? Nothing happens without the spark to light the fire. And men are more what's called, would be Shiva. So they're the, the stable space, but nothing moves it right? So more stubborn, you could say. And so we have these two energies that when they, they're both necessary, when they come together, it's the night and the day, it's the 
moon and the sun. And there's this real understanding that it takes both to have balance, right? So polarities are essential to come together to create balance. And so in India, there are several temples that are like that, teachings around that. Um, people always say, ooh, what about Tantra? Because my husband and I teach Tantra. And I always laugh about that because there's this understanding or this assumption and a stereotype about Tantra that it's sexual, and it actually isn't. It's not even all sexual, you know? Tantra is actually this understanding that everything is from God. Everything's from God. And that everything that happens to us is of God. So if there's, I'm going to mention this, and it's probably not going to make people very happy, but there was this Parisian, you know, in Paris, this attack, right? Or, or somebody gets diagnosed with cancer, or you take a fall on the stairs, you know? All these things would be termed as bad ordinarily. In Tantra, what there would be is more of this understanding that there's going to be something to learn in this. This is, this is of God. All of it is of God. And so it's just this understanding of everything's part of the web of life, and it's all God. So that includes sex. Where So there's, that's how that got pulled in is because for a long time in the more puritanical societies, we kind of chopped off the head from the body, right? And there's this disconnect between our sensuality, our sexuality, and ourselves, and that somehow sex is not sacred. It's not spiritual, right? And so when people started learning about Tantra, they started really emphasizing that and saying, well, this is sacred also. And then it became this whole sexual thing. So if you go on the internet and you look up Tantra, you're going to find all kinds of crazy, silly things. And so that's another thing in India that is taught in this very sacred way. But it's that energy, right? We talk right. about harnessing that feminine and masculine energy, right. honoring it. Say, okay, this is part of me. And, you know, biblically, God says that we will become one flesh with our spouse. That's an energetic, spiritual event. Right. It's a gift. And, and that's beyond the physical. It's an energetic merging. And right. I think that's really important to understand because I always say there's sports sex and there's, you know, a relational sex, right? And, and we want relational sex. And, you know, I always joke, I say, movies are to reality, like porn is to sex. I mean, we can't let media dictate what you think is what you want to believe is normal for you. And right fantasy and entertainment in that. And so, you know, that's one of the things that is, is I think devastating to a couple. It's devastating to an individual and um, we want to keep our mind open. So we experience what fills us, what feels good to us and in our relationship with that partnership brings. And so I think that's a huge important concept to just bring back the stillness so that we and the quiet so that we can hear our own voice again. Right. And so that's, you know, you're asking about these different places. When you think about it, you know, these are things that we're learning from these other cultures that actually support what we find, like you said, in the Bible and the Judeo-Christian lineage that somehow got submerged in a more doctrinal way and losing that mystical understanding of the very basis of Jesus's teachings, which was love is everything, right? So that's, those are a couple places. Another one's Australia, where I learned that I is an illness and we is in wellness. They don't even have a word for I. So, yeah. Really? <laughs> 
the Aboriginal people that I was uh, studying with actually were telling me the story of how when they would all wake up in the morning after dreaming, they call it dream time, that then the community would come together and depending on what came out in dream time, that's how they would then have their day as a community. People wouldn't reproduce. They wouldn't have children unless there were enough resources around to support the whole community. So they would actually thoughtfully think about the integration of their community into their environment. And that was a really interesting way of thinking about how we ought to be in relationship and harmony with our environment for me. And it was the first time I heard that I as an illness, we as in wellness thing. So oh, I love it. I love it because it's about community, right? We're right. Better in community. Isolation does not improve our health. Right. We're better in community, safe community. And we have to keep nurturing that in the right. end. So. Yep. Yeah. What I loved about Australia is the language. Everyone has a smile on their face because all the words end with like a smile. Hey. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, cheers. And I know. In America, we're like, hello. That's true. Goodbye. Goodbye. Versus, yeah. No worries. I know. I love it. The facial expressions and you learn a lot from the language. That's a very gracious, easygoing and right. friendly, friendly country. But I didn't have the honor to study with the Aborigines. That's yeah. fascinating. Okay, give me one more country. Okay, well, um, actually, in, in Australia, it's a lot of different tribes that are there, right? So I'm going to tell one more story about Australia that was so interesting to me. Um, the Kukuyulanji, who I was with, and are in the northern um, Gold Coast area, Daintree Rainforest. And one of the things that I was taught is that Mother Nature would provide the antidote to whatever the toxin was. And so um, there was this heart-shaped leaf that my teacher was telling me would kill you within minutes because it was a neurotoxin. But there was this other plant right here that would cure it if you knew. And that's the way it is here in the Pacific Northwest, too. The stinging nettles hurt, but then the fern grows right next to it. And underneath the fern, if you turn it over, there are these spores. And you rub the spores on the stinging nettle area, and it goes away. And so I was climbing uh, Mount Tribulation, they call it, after I was finished with the Kukiolanji. And I learned all these different wild crafting things from these wonderful people. So I'm going up Mount Tribulation. I'm running into almost everything they taught me, right? And I get to the top. And there, it's almost like the UN up there. There are these people from all over the world that, are, that have come, and they've all been climbing, and we all arrive up there. And there's a fellow up there from Denmark that's got a cigarette, and he's burning himself. And I'm, I said, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? And he'd gotten into some of their stinging ants. And so they, and they were really, really hurting. And so he was trying to, he was hurt. They were hurting so bad he was burning these areas so that they wouldn't hurt anyone. And so I went and I found the plant that I was taught to look for and da, da, da. And, and so it was this interesting thing of, oh, I know what to look for. You see it. But if you're just blind to what's around you, then you don't see it. And how many things are there that we go through life like that, right? And so it was just this very fascinating thing of being in harmony again with Mother Nature, with the plants, with understanding what they're for and that toxins are there, are there for a reason too. And then the antidote is right there. And I think about that in relationship too. Whatever becomes toxic in a relationship, the antidote is on the flip side of the same coin, right? Mm, right. Just like 
the thing that we loved about our spouse that then we learned to hate. <laughs> and then it's the flip side of the same coin, right? So, so yeah. and it's okay. What is this experience trying to teach you? And I think taking that perspective is true. And for our listeners who are struggling with any issue and especially relationally, we want to get that resolved because we don't want the same problem with another face later down the road. We really want to work that out and restore, reunite, reignite in relationship because that's, that's the juice of life. So that's mm -hmm. really beautiful. I want to invite everyone to your website, functionalsexology.com. And then you have a bonus gift at drannacabeca.com forward slash Dr. Keisha, D-R-K-E-E-S-H-A. And I am honored to have you. I know we can talk forever and it's um, a privilege to talk with you. And I love what you're doing and uh, love to continue intersecting our lives more and hopefully some world travel. <laughs> I know. I agree. We could travel together easily. So um, I wanted to tell uh, your listeners, too, about um, the Libido Story webinar that's coming out on December 1st. It's being launched, and at Dr. Um, well, at functionalsexology.com, they can find that link, which leads into a seven-week program that takes them through this process called the Libido Solution. And it's all about finding those emotional, psychological, spiritual root causes for this problem that they might be experiencing. That's excellent. And some closing words for our audience. Oh my gosh, just love yourself. One of the things I did with the women in Africa when I was just there, um, again, a European group and an American group, and we were doing this work in, in Kenya, and I took them into this hot springs, but natural, no one else there. And there were 15 women in this little hot springs, and <laughs> I, we were working on body image. They didn't know they were getting in naked together. And I just said, okay, all, all of you, I want you to come up with five things that you love about your body. And you're only allowed to say one thing that you don't like. And so it was so interesting, every time I do this exercise, how difficult it is for women to find things they love about their bodies. And then how many they can just come up with like this that they don't like and want to change. And so I would just say, find those, do that tonight, you know, take a journal, Draw a little stick figure of yourself and then write on one side, five things you love about yourself even more if you can. I love my cheeks. I love my eyes. I love my ears. I love my shoulders, my breasts, my belly, my legs, right? And then on the other side, the one thing that you would want to change and that's it. And just practice that and put it somewhere where you can see it. Focus on the things we are thankful for. Exactly. Exactly. Beautiful. Well, I thank you very much. And for our listeners, if you are listening on our iTunes podcast, please leave a review or rating. And also, if you want to see us, you can see us on YouTube at my Dr. Anna Kabeca YouTube channel. Thank you all for listening. Love yourself even more. That sets a good tone for those around you. All right. Have a good night. This is Couch Talk. <laughs>